Okay, so this movie was made for very little money and very little time. We made this movie over five weeks in Scotland two years ago. And um, a lot of the, the songs and the fight sequences, we choreographed 10 minutes before shooting. So the, the sequence when I come out of my door and put my headphones on, Sarah Swire, who plays Steph in the movie and is also our choreographer, she's, she's a superhuman. Um, I don't know how she slept on that shoot. I don't think she did. Um, we turned up half an hour before shooting and skipped up and down the street that I skipped down and just worked out what was going to feel comfortable in my body. And there was this moment where she was like, I think maybe you could do like a hop, skip and a jump out of the door to really elevate that stop in the music before you start singing. And so I tried it for her and uh, I thought I'd done kind of a good job. And she was like, that was awful. Never do that again. <laughs> um, and, then, and then I can do a high kick. It's, it's one of my only physical things I can do that I'm kind of proud of. And I had been trying throughout this whole shoot to get my high kick in there. And that same day, it was our last day of shooting. I was like, Sarah said to me, you know, there's this, this moment where you can do whatever you want to do. Just go crazy. Whatever you would do if you were skipping through a cemetery and no one knew you were looking. No one was looking at you. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to do my high kick, right? And it's made it into the trailer and it's made it into the movie and I'm kind of chuffed about it. <laughs> listening to a podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello, and welcome to the podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the Fear of God podcast. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. Guys, he was here a minute ago, but he mentioned needing a bit of a snack. He'd had a long day, uh, work and just, you know, life being crazy as it is. He needed a little, little, little noshing before recording and somewhat rudely, if I might add, but with a mild hip hop swagger, he said, my favorite dish is fish, mother flipper. And I don't, I don't know. He did have the little tune to it there which I kind of fumbled, but he'll be back. He'll be back. Hopefully less hangry, hangry, uh, than he was before. Like the Hulk says, I'm always hangry. <laughs> That'd make for a really funny Hulk. The incredibly hungry Hulk. Uh, in the meantime, allow me to <laughs> riff a lot while Reed's gone, but welcome you back into our series on learning how to lose titled in the morning. This series meant to help us meditate on loss as we navigate life inside of a pandemic, giving even deeper resonance to our regular mantra of assessing what scares us to find what saves us. If you want to know more about the thoughts and heart behind this series, go listen to our infinity war conversation for a deeper discussion of what would turn into what we're talking about now. But I am 
getting ahead of myself. Because here at The Fear of God, we explore, we don't explain, except for right now, when I explain that you can listen to The Fear of God at your nearest podcast platform. You can hopefully watch The Fear of God on YouTube, uh, if if the tech works out for us, and you can browse The Fear of God on the web at thefearofgodpodcast.com, where you'll find extensive selection of merchandise, uh, as well as episode archives, said merchandise, including cell phone cases, t-shirts, campaign buttons, face masks. Reed, come back and help me, because I can't do it anymore. Where are you? Did you bring me a snack? Because I'm <laughs> the incredibly hungry hulk. My favorite dish is fish, mother flipper, and I eat it for the halibut. That's not the only fish they got. I can take more than a snack. Sorry, I don't, yes, I don't remember all the lyrics. What listeners can't see is I'm doing the fish. fish (laughs) You're doing the fish. The fish rep. I had um, um, spicy shrimp tacos tonight for dinner, and that was delicious. (laughs) That was good. Shrimp, Mm. I like spicy things, and I like tacos, so. I'm spicy. (laughs) 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 it's business time it's business time and that business is i need to go to marvel with the incredibly hungry hulk that seems like (laughs) a wonderful a wonderful on our favorite purple pants warrior um Mm. first uh uh (laughs) first announcement for this episode (laughs) riri we have a sharing is caring winner we do i'm so excited Speaking, speaking of things swedish our good friend James Page, who lives in Sweden. He does. He does. <laughs> James has been a listener for a little while now. I would, to my recollection, at least a year, maybe a year and a half. Mm. Um, he can correct us if it might be a little bit more. But he recently posted a an Instagram post of his Fear of God sticker adorning his skateboard. Was it his son's skateboard? I think it was his skateboard. I don't know. Okay. It was a skateboard yes. that I think was someone in his family's, possibly his. <laughs> um, and it was a really lovely post, and we are really thankful for that. Uh, James, uh, I think we're going to be sending you a t-shirt once we discern exactly if, I mean, who knows? You know, like, nowhere else is letting Americans anywhere where they let us ship things internationally. I just don't know. Nonetheless, James, thank you for uh, playing the Sharing is Caring contest. Thank you for the rest of you who uh, played along and submitted entries. It was very, the care was shared <laughs> and received. Hey, so so can I mention one thing about that? Hey. I know this is a bit of an impromptu business section, but it's a little bit. So one of the other shares, uh, which was uh, really arresting and, and exciting for me, I almost spoiled this actually on social media. But um, you... You kind of did. You I just did, but then I course corrected, and yes, then like did. very few people saw it before it was actually spoiled. Sure. But we're going to spoil yeah. it here because it's going to happen right there. So um, our our recently oft named friends uh, Asia and J Mark Swartz and Tuber because they um, had inspired the uh, another uh, bit of business that we'll mention in just a moment. Um, Asia had posted about the show, but also that. From a brief recommendation from myself, a brief glowing recommendation, she had procured a copy of Ray Bradbury's book, Something Wicked This Way Comes. And so, uh, spoiler alert, might be a little bit more Bradbury love shown uh, a little bit later on the pod. We'll we'll see if that plays out. But um, we do want to give you a heads up that we are going to have another installment of Book Club! Book Club! <laughs> and um, so... Book Club! Oh, 
sorry. That was the Hangry Hulk. <laughs> the, the Hangry Hangry Hulk. Um, so uh, in October, we've got a couple of, we hope, very fun and exciting things planned. Uh, October is obviously the one of our favorite months of the year here at the show. Um, so I can't wait. Uh, so I know, I know. So um, in October, uh, we are also, in addition to be to covering a few movies that we'll tell you as it gets closer to time, we are also going to be spending the month covering in sections um, the book. <laughs> Something wicked this way comes. I'm excited. I've That's wanted, excited. I've I, wanted just, this for I chuckled because I thought you were making up a new word and you said in sections. I, I heard inception and then sections. I was like, what is he saying? Oh, <laughs> like, oh, no. In, in sections. Yes, yes. Sections. Yes. Parts. <laughs> you you yes. had blended. You didn't put in I sections in sections. It's been so, a long day. Yes. <laughs> long day. Um, so, yeah. So we are going to be covering Something Wicked This Way Comes. Now, we are going to be covering it in segments as we had just re- just now said. But if you want to get a little heads up, you're going to need to acquire a copy of that, either from your local library, which Ray Bradbury would absolutely affirm, or uh, you can take the Asia route, and I would certainly affirm this as well, and just buy a copy of it, either for your Kindle or a hard copy somewhere. So acquire the book, Something Wicked This Way Comes, because Book Club is coming. We're going to spend the month of September doing the final phase of In the Morning, and then October, Something Wicked This Way is indeed coming. So be prepared for Book Club. That's my little That's exciting, Mary. I know. I'm very, very thrilled. You know what else is exciting, Mary? What? Episode 200! I can't believe 200. it. 200! I can't believe 200. it. 200! Wow. 200. We're going to do... Listen up, guys. Like 400 we, hours of us talking. It's crazy. Oh, my God. <laughs> when you when you say it that way, now I'm even more exhausted. Wow, what have we subjected these poor people to? I'm so tired. <laughs> for four years. Oh, man. Uh, 200 episodes, technically speaking, with annuals and one shots and crossovers yeah comic book reference um we're even above that by now but formally speaking episode 200 is a mere seven ish weeks away and much like the audience what you're watching read and listening to we want to hear from you guys like actually audially so we want we we would love to sample some of your responses to the fear of god onto that episode please so time matters Mm -hmm. questions like why do you listen to the show? If you've been around for a while, why do you still listen to the show? What keeps you coming back? What got you into it? Uh, how has it impacted you? What was a favorite episode? What was a favorite funny bit? What was a favorite piece of content? Or no, no, no. Was a favorite piece of media, piece of art that you discovered uh, from our conversations? What's a new layer of thinking and and maybe theology that you? encountered through our conversations we want to hear from you as best you can uh uh, answer some of those questions get inspired answer something different answer why you enjoy the fear of god 45 seconds ish as best you can you may have to take a couple runs at it start sending those to fear of god podcast at gmail.com we're going to intersperse episode 200 with a couple of these heads up we need a couple, okay? We're now <laughs> telling you we want to do this. So if episode 200 comes around and it's just me and Riri for two hours, it's your fault, okay? Uh, <laughs> so if you're, if you're hearing this and you're like, oh, these guys, I, I like these guys, let us know that. We want to share it. We, want, we, we just want to share the love. Sharing is caring. So yes, sound bites is what we're calling it because bites, like biting things because we like food and we're hangry <laughs> and that just keeps coming up <laughs> did not expect that oh, to happen Riri, what else you oh got my. 
Okay, so in addition to those sound bites, as you're doing that, why not go ahead and take that next step further? And uh, we've had a couple of people do this and send us an audience what you watch and read and listen to. We do this segment now. We've we've played a couple for you. Uh, we will probably be playing one for you in just a couple of moments. So yeah, send us, uh, record you, your family, your kids, your neighbors, make sure you social distance, whatever you do. Just cue up that voice memo recorder. And after you've sent us your little sound bite about why you love the show and how you got connected to it and all those fun anecdotes... Uh, then go ahead and send us a what you're watching, reading, or listening to jingle, and we will try to incorporate that on the show. We still have several that we have not incorporated on the show that are great, uh, that we're really excited to to roll out for you at some point. But um, yes, please, by all means, keep sending those in. That is a business time that will likely never expire. So once you've got that recorded, email it to fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com, and we will put it into the queue to uh, to in, in have our, our, the rest of our listeners enjoy it some uh, uh, future date so please do send us those. thank you thank you Reed. <laughs> the last announcement as part of business time is if you're a relatively new listener uh, uh categorically this is uh, telling you about the facebook group if you're a relatively new listener we haven't plugged this in a while you may not know we actually have pretty vibrant facebook group where conversation is often afoot regarding the latest horror media as well as books um meredith curran who is our literary correspondent has shown up a couple times on the show keeps us all abreast of books uh that are being talked about and that she's reading it gets some really good conversation going there we talk about movies of course that are not even stuff that we cover on the show uh, some of you have been very diligent to start sharing your own kind of what you're watching that, that you're consuming um, has led to some really fruitful conversations. Stephen Beckley, uh, continuity guru, has been posting some wonderful icebreakers, some of that of which Those may pepper great. itself into episode 200. They are great. Yeah. Um, come join the Facebook group. We'd love to see you over there. Right now, it's the best way to get a pretty direct line to kind of the conversation off the conversation. You like that? Conversation I like it, yeah. Conversation, you know, yeah, I'll workshop that a little bit. Um, so if you're on Facebook, um, we'd love for you to be a part. Just look for the Fear of God podcast group and come join the fun. That's business time. That's business time. Business is you ready, over. Ready? Let's do it. You Let's ready? do it. All right, here we go. What you watching? What you reading? What are you listening to? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I love it. That is Brent Westering. Brent has been a part of the Fog Fog family for quite a long time. Oh, uh, maybe, oh, yeah. maybe early, early, early. Uh, uh, it was, and yeah, I can't. He is part of our Canada contingent. Mm-hmm. Um, we have you know, a we have so. a nice, robust listenership in Canada, and yeah, and there's we love our fellow Canadians. They're, there's they're four great. I can name. Yeah, but that's like you know, I know more Canadians more... than I could name Canadian actors, and that's like a big deal to me. You know, okay, so, like... whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> Let's not get crazy. Like, Eugene hold on. Levy, hold on. <laughs> oh yeah, the entire cast of Shit's Creek. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> never mind, never track my statement. <laughs> Brent, you're amazing. Read what you've been watching. What you've been reading. So what have you been listening to? Oh, that's great. That's great. So, um. I, I'll mention this only in passing that, uh, you know, earlier I had referenced Ray Bradbury. So this past week as of this recording, and actually, yeah, this past week as of this airing. So if you're listening to this on, on Tuesday or the week that it airs, last week was would have been Ray Bradbury's 100th birthday. 
And so uh, there was a lot of things shared on social media. If you're personal friends with me, I shared a little uh, tribute because, as I've mentioned on the show before, I got the chance to meet him a few times, um, which was really, really nice. So, yeah, just the... You did or your hair did? (laughs) (laughs) If you saw that picture, like the comparison between... I can't can't talk right now. Mine's mine's out of control. My my hair met him before I did is what happened. (laughs) So, <laughs> please allow me to introduce Reed. <laughs> Here I come. If these, so, if these hairs could talk. So, um, but no, I had um, uh, so so I had posted a little tribute to him. But that no, it, the, his hundredth birthday just kind of put me in the spirit to reacclimate myself with some of his work. I know we're we're going to be reading something wicked this way comes in October, which I'm really excited for. So I held that back, but I did. Uh, re-listen to The Martian Chronicles by audiobook. And then there was a website, um, I think it was called the Bradbury Readathon, but if you Google like the great Bradbury Readathon, you will find this, um, where they had people like Neil Gaiman and William Shatner and a, a few other prominent celebrities, uh, all joined together to read Fahrenheit 451. And, uh, it was, it was really cool. I listened to a good bit of that. I also have, a copy of Fahrenheit 451 on audiobook that Bradbury himself reads. So I've just been, and, and several of his short stories, I've just been kind of diving back into the waters of Ray Bradbury's work. And uh, I'm, it's, it really makes me happy. I, I love it a lot. I know Stephen King gets a lot of love on this show, and Stephen King probably still has the top spot for me. But uh, in, in terms of pure inspiration and cultural impact, uh, Ray Bradbury is definitely up there for me, uh, number two, if not a contender for number one uh, at times of my favorite author. So that's what I've been reacclimating myself to. It's just the word. Well, of very Ray cool. Well, this is a very literary episode. So, ah. one, I'm going to ask you a random question, and that's to name a letter of the alphabet. Hmm. L. L. Okay. Um, I'm going to go. So, read. Ironically, Shit's Creek just came up. So I spent way too much money on a book because, you know, I like words. Yeah, sure. And sure. I'm a bit of a, a a word nerd, if you will. And a while back, I was reading this article with the Schitt's Creek finale, the series finale. And mm. uh, in that article, Catherine O'Hara was talking about the luscious language she uses as Moira Rose on Schitt's Creek. Moira sure. Rose. As Moira... God, good Lord. Yeah, yeah. Moira Rose. Moira Rose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Long day. Um, well, in that... trouble speaking? <laughs> <laughs> well, in that article, they talked about how Dan uh, Levy, who was became the showrunner, I don't know that he started as, but he became the showrunner, and had a significant hand in crafting scripts over time, she would rewrite her lines and make what were already kind of juicy words that they would give Moira to say even more so because she had this book. And there was this book called Foils Falavery. And oh, I have a copy of this book. And don't judge me if you go look up how expensive this book is. But I was like, I really want that book. And... I, there's no digital version, but Foyle's Falavery, read is a treasury of unusual words. Ooh, that is so and, you. That is you. And the gentleman who it's collected by Christopher Foyle. I read the introduction, and he's he's a Londoner, as you'd imagine, hmm. uh, whose father owned a bookshop, and he was an avid reader, and just developed as a habit notating 
curious words, uncommon words. Okay. And over a lifetime has compiled this thing. So in now, some of these are stuff you'd have heard of, but they're all kind of fun. Uh, So you said L. I'm at L right now. and I'm just going to give you a few words. Oh, this is going to be great. Here's one. See, I don't even know how to say some of this. Uh, <laughs> or as I'm reading, I'm like, that sounds worse than it should. Um, okay. I want to pick a different letter. <laughs> no. Yeah, L has some funny. Okay, let's see this. Legger domain. Legger domain. L e g e r d e main. That's sleight of hand, conjuring tricks, or juggling. Oh. Okay. Uh, latrability or latrability is a noun and read that is the ability to bark oh okay latrability so you can just see how much fun you could have oh just going through give me another letter just the word this is going to be the episode okay (laughs) hey it's anna and the anna and the apocalypse it's a let's pick a just a a sure 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 yeah uh (laughs) (laughs) listeners aren't Um, seeing the page you're seeing no no uh it's an adjective, a proctus. I guarantee this is the first thing I saw on this page. In zoology, a proctus, A-P-R-O-C-T-O-U-S, is lacking an anus. <laughs> I mean, when you when you break down the the uh, you know when you parse out the etymology of it, it makes perfect sense. Hey. Here's a word I just learned about a year and a half ago, and then I overused it for a little season in just jokery. It's apophatic. Apophatic. And it is, in theology, an adjective relating to the belief that God cannot be known and can be described only in terms of what he is not. Oh. Interesting. Hmm. Anyway, so foils Falavery. I'm excited. It's it's a fun just flip through and learn some new words and like... That's... Actorus or whatever that word was about lacking an anus. So <laughs> log that one away. What did uh, you learn about on on the fear of God, everybody? Oh, we learned this new word about what a it means practice. Not, a practice. So that. Wait, let me. I always forget no, just to have this up. Gotta, at it's, the ready. It's a refrain. All right, here we go. What you watching? What you reading? What are you listening to? <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. I love <laughs> that he added so that good. little lilt on the Whoop! end. That's right. That's the kind of thing I would. That's the kind of thing I would do. That's right. Uh, Nathan. Uh huh. <clears throat> it is time once again, ladies and gentlemen, for us to visit a place called Jarden, Texas, town formerly known as Miracle National Park and revisit The Leftovers. Season three this time. We're starting with episodes one and two. The first episode entitled The Book of Kevin. The second episode, Don't Be Ridiculous. As in, Kevin. (laughs) Welcome back to TV Guideposts. TV Guideposts. Kevin. Kevin? I love that the the entirety of Ann Dowd's work and the massive <laughs> accolades that she deserves and, and forever it's now it's going to be a down to, 
every, every time I see she her. She pooped on him, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see her in these Oscar-worthy and Emmy-worthy things. It's just like, Kevin? <laughs> oh, All right. Okay. Speaking of Kevin. Kevin. Uh, so, Riri, we're in season three, episodes one and two. Oh, as- my. Reed. Um, I, you know, it, it rings for me. It resonates for me. Why during season two, you would steer hard for, okay. Season two is kind of the epitome, Mm. you know, as a package of what this show does. I I think that's probably fair. Uh, pound for pound. It's that strong. It, there's almost a case almost that season three reaches too high. Like, I would agree. It is yeah. so, and that's actually not me saying it fails. It's simply saying, my goodness, the things you guys are trying to mm-hmm. reach for and articulate are insanely hard to grasp, but yes. deeply interesting. That opening scene to wish we'd all been ready is, yes. is stunning. Yes, uh, it really is. And watching these couple episodes specifically the book of kevin in a in a way that season three season two didn't you could make the criticism season three foregrounds the ideas too heavy in other words mm-hmm. i know i'm running out the gate here so no you're okay you're all right pull us yeah. back some. like what i thought about watching that opening scene and knowing what the book of kevin the episode is roughly about was the idea like you guys are wrestling with what does the idea of religion mean like what? Yeah, right. What makes religion religion? What makes devotees devotees? What is the failures of? What is the successes of? Why would people give a damn at all to investigate religion? You know what I mean? Like those are right. massive questions. Oh, absolutely. That it's mm-hmm. almost unfair to foist on something like this, but I I applaud the effort because they certainly they certainly reach for it. They give it a try. No, absolutely. Yeah, the this is the my favorite opening sequence of any season. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. it's absolutely fantastic. And for those who are listening but are not watching the show along with us, is that that opening sequence is just the it it shows uh, a family, uh, husband, wife, uh, child, son, um, who are clearly. Uh, like it's a period the, piece. It's a period piece, yeah, from the the 1800s and like the 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 Millerite disappointment, where they were basically projecting, oh, the 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 rapture, the concept of the rapture, um, is going to take place at very specific dates and times, and these people repeatedly sort of show up. They sell all their relevant property, with the exception of presumably the roof over their head. And then they climb up onto said roof and then try to get taken and continually are disappointed and disappointed and disappointed when it doesn't happen, uh, which, yeah, it's it's really galvanizing. But then it pivots like that's what's that's what's crazy. Great opening sequence pivots right into just like bye bye GR like right. like just sayonara <laughs> that and that shot, by the way. Of Evie looking up as the yeah. missile like comes mm-hmm. closer and you can see the reflection of the missile in her glasses is one of the most arresting things I've seen on this entire show. It is absolutely, uh, I mean, it's chilling. It is uh, arresting. You almost barely realize what's happening until after yeah, it's already yeah. happened. Um, it's electric. It's it's just absolutely fantastic. Boogie, 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 boogie. <laughs> it's electric. <laughs> um, 
but yeah well yeah. and then there's it, it jumps for there's a time jump three years they they clearly are distancing themselves from the gr you know kind of pushing past into new storytelling territory um that is you know kevin and nora uh really interesting new dynamics for john and Lori. yeah absolutely um yeah. Uh, what are some other specifics you enjoyed from this so uh i got a couple of things here i i have to mention that i love the song that plays over top of this scene the like as kevin's riding through town as he later jumps into the water like that that uh sort of uh i don't even know how you would describe the rhythmic sort of propulsion that that song has uh but it's it's absolutely fantastic i love that song um and uh i did mention i did write down here like what in the world's with all the beards i know matt makes a reference to it like the beard looks good on him but like Everybody got a beard. Like Kevin's got a beard. John's got a beard. Matt's got a beard. Later in the season, we'll see that his What's dad's with, got a beard. What's wrong with Everybody beard, got man? a beard. You've all. You, I mean, like you've had a beard. Like it's not unusual. None of these people have had beards. It's like, not none of unusual people. for Nathan <laughs> to have a beard. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was just like, what's with the beards, everybody? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It yeah. is worth mentioning too that a the specter looming over this season that's really interesting as a as a narrative choice is the seven year anniversary of yes. the sudden departure mm-hmm. and you know seven has a significant mean the, the number seven has significant meaning in in uh at least judeo-christian religion iconography yeah uh, religious iconography so they, they're playing with that sort of iconography and the world of the leftovers is toying with a possible imminent new event you know mm-hmm. And, and it's really interesting, man. I know when we set out to discuss leftovers, it was under the pretext of loss, uh, cataclysmic loss and and sort of wrestling through that. I think there's going to be an interesting conversation between you and I, by the end of the season about, I'm going to say the phrase apocalyptic expectation, Mm -hmm. but what I even just mean is expectation itself. Yeah. Right. And how, you know, you feel you feel the electricity in these characters and in the world of the season, right? That like something is or may not be afoot, and you and I both know kind of where the season lands in terms of some some ideas and what that means. And I, I don't know. I, it's interesting to me. Season one and and primarily two are this looking backward kind of idea wrestling with Mm. departure wrestling with loss grief that sort of thing right season three and i'm i'm trying to very poorly analogize this to our real life lived existence right now dude we're on the we're on the uh precipice of a presidential election both of whose Mm -hmm. sides would have you believe the the United States is going to fall into a black hole regardless yeah, of the outcome. The end. Yeah. The end draweth nigh for both. Right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And how fascinating that is and how leftover season three specifically and uniquely invites that conversation. Right. Yeah, precisely. And, I don't know. It's and just that's really the thing that like the opening season uh, plays with. And, and this is going to be probably one of the hardest TV guide posts we've ever done to not get into theme episode by episode because sure as you said like they reach so high and honestly i do think that they they 
they probably are just they're they're dancing with things that they don't really have strong conclusions about, but more just want to explore a bit, which I can certainly on this show we can get behind. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, I do think that it is. It's a, it's it's a it's about the nature of birth of uh, impact of religious thought and religious expression and religious adoption, and it's uh, it, it it's about big big ideas. Um, I I feel like. Uh, just to, to name a, cur- a couple of cursory things that I think are worth uh, mentioning. Um, when I referenced this just a few seconds ago, when Kevin leaps into the water mm-hmm. to diffuse the tension between these, the, there's these people who have come down. Protesters, yeah. yeah, they're people who have come down for a baptism associated with the church. They find when they get down there that protesters have dunked toxic barrels of some substance Supposedly, into yeah. the river and in order to and, and they start arguing with each other people are throwing things uh police are arresting the protesters everything and and i do think it's interesting how they pivot the what happened to the gr that yeah. you know that there's oh, some yeah. people who believe that the the bureau uh i, I forget the name of it but the a, the atf yes uh, alcohol tobacco firearms yeah. yes um uh that when they uh, blasted out the GR, um, there are people who believe that that's what they did, and there are other people who believe that the GR being the smokers that they were lit a cigarette during a gas leak, and that's what exploded them all. Well, because that's the official story. The official. Yeah, story. I was going to say. To be fair, the protesters' paranoia is is correct. Founded. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. And and you know Kevin Kevin corrects Tommy. Uh, uh, about the official story, right. that is fascinating because that the event of that, the nature of that, what did or didn't really happen, which Kevin knows, seems lost on John. Yes, who doesn't really let go of things. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. But, uh, the scene uh, at the yeah, lake. and all I was going to mention is that the way Kevin diffuses that situation is just to leap into the water, and it's funny. Like he's unafraid of toxic whatever toxicity in the river infecting him. And he's also unafraid of being electrocuted by, by his whatever contraption he's wearing that, uh, you know, his walkie talkie or whatever. Um, so he just, yeah, he just leaps into the water and of course he's fine. And he discovers that the water is fine. Um, and, uh, that sort of pivots into, uh, Michael kind of like seizing the moment to perform a baptism, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, and sort of bring, you know, recalibrate everything back. Uh, but I just found that incredibly fascinating. One other, a little bit more cursory note. Um, Mary's leaving makes me really sad. Like, sure. I, like, yeah, I, I understand it. I completely understand it. It just makes me really sad because the last time we saw them, yep. things were so hopeful and happy and she had woken up and everything was good. And when she explains that she's leaving because Matt won't let her go anywhere, it makes complete sense. But it it just is a sad coda to what was otherwise yes. a very sort of uplifting and kind of hopeful uh, love affair. And, st- and oh, I mean, they're married. It's not an affair, but uh, a love story. And and uh, yeah, it's just it, it makes I'm me with really you. sad. Trust me, this first flurry of episodes, I was like, oh, crap, I've <laughs> forgotten Matt's, you know, Matt's zealotry yeah. resurfacing to the level that it does. But see, that's what's I'm totally with you. And this is where the conversation about the show is hard to avoid thematic notes, at least, right, if not right. diving deep, is it's it's about 
religious obsession. You know, it's about what do you do when your dogma blinds you to people and and relationship. Um, and so that's really fascinating. Um, and for anyone curious who, again, isn't watching, the Book of Kevin is a reference to literally Matt is writing a book that he that he fancies as a extra testamental sort of uh, additive scripturally, uh, a new a new work of scripture about Kevin Garvey. Uh, the life of Kevin Garvey. And so this is why when we talk about what they're reaching for is it's, it's inspiration. It's, yes. you know, uh, uh, cannot canon versus not it's, it, it forces you as someone in, a, a traditional religion, like we tend to run in at least in terms of the, the mores and, and lingo, it makes you think about, the back then right. ideas, you know, just all this kind of stuff. So it's really impressive from that standpoint, but that's effectively what they're after this. Uh, I was going to pivot to what happens at the end of this episode. Do you have anything else specific from this episode? You want to uh, talk all, about? All I want to mention, and it's, it's uh, somewhat uh, cursory, but I was just going to say the case for Kevin's exceptionalism is pretty compelling. <laughs> like the sure. way the man straight up. And I didn't even think about it in the context of season two because i was it was just the weird thing that was happening but right people talking about like yeah you couldn't drown yourself because the earth opened up and stopped it right you couldn't right. you know you got shot point blank in the chest uh you also you know got drank, drank poison, poison right. got buried and hours later emerged from the grave so i was like yeah that's a, that's a compelling case <laughs> for something going on anyway i was well just gonna say that. and i love is it that one yes I'm pretty sure it's that one that has over the credit sequence your own personal Jesus. Uh, it's the it's the second one. This one has no opening no, credit sequence. The second one is "Don't Be Ridiculous," and that's got the perfect stranger. Oh, sorry, theme. no, no, you're that right. Must be the third then. Yes, it's the third because the opening the this the book of Kevin yes, has no opening credit yeah. sequence. Yeah, mm -hmm. I wondered about that. Um, cool. Last episode, last scene of that episode is a what we come to find out sort of flash forward uh, uh, a woman you sort of learn because she interacts with one other woman with an Australian accent. Uh, you don't see who it is until the very end. And it's an aged Nora. It is echoes of lost up and down this season. Oh, absolutely. That all over the place. That was one comment yeah. that my wife made. It was like, wow, there's a lot of like lost reshuffled and recalibrated in yeah. this, um, yeah. in the show in general. But, um, particularly because on our rewatch when we had of lost, uh, when we realized that, uh, some of our characters were in the Dharma initiative for three years and it just keeps saying three years later, three years later. And then I go into this episode and it's just like three years later. Oh, I was like, yeah, yeah. Huh, okay. Um, three years is a good, it's three is a good number. It's yeah. a relative amount of time. It's not too long, but it's, it's long enough to get, yeah, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. In it. Um, do you want, do you have anything else about this one or do you want to go nope. into don't be ridiculous? Okay. So, uh, just what a, you just referenced this a, a few seconds ago. What a fantastic pivot it is to have the exact opening imagery from season two, but set to the perfect strangers theme. And it's got resonance inside the episode. It's, it's deliberate. It's not random, but I was just like, wow, this <laughs> first time I saw it. And then the second time around, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is hysterical <laughs> it's it's really quite perfect um uh, my first note here uh i just I, at first i just wrote bye bye pillar man um but one thing that i discovered in just sort of some cursory digging is 
they that Lindelof originally planned for a ten episode season, not an eight. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that the I, I didn't find maybe you know I didn't find the reason maybe just HBO's budget or whatever why they went down to eight, but the two sort of excised episodes. One was going to be centering on the the Murphys, the Murphy family, mm-hmm. and then the other one was going to be the background of pillar man leading up right. to him you know falling off and and to his death um which i found really interesting it's like uh, i i don't know i would it's it's funny because it's like i i don't want this season necessarily to be longer than it is but i really want to see those episodes well, you didn't mean to invite this aspect but one uh i don't know why it was definitively eight over ten but i know this is relatively easy to come by regina king was already on another show so her schedule oh. there's a reason she's literally only in one scene in one yes. basic location in this yes. season and it's because she was committed elsewhere by then mm-hmm. um understood the other thing to your point see it's funny this will come up next week uh so maybe i shouldn't unpack it here but you just referenced it there's a moment where i it registered for me in a way that it did not the first time through of I think I might have liked a little more investment before we get to some of the catastrophic emotional stuff. Sure, like, of course. Yes. Yeah, we'll get to that next week. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. so so yeah, I'm with you. You you can kind of feel it a slightly more truncated uh than a previous season in terms of ground they're trying to cover. Yeah. But this one I love some of the stuff that happens in this one. Uh, the Perfect Strangers reference is season one. They talk about Mark Lynn Baker from Perfect Strangers having been found in Mexico, mm-hmm. but the other three leads from Perfect Strangers haven't been departed and him faking his own departure. Well, the right. actor, Mark Lynn Baker, shows up in this episode and it's a really beautiful and sad scene. Yeah, it but is. Mm-hmm. I mentioned on our conversation with Vera season two, how I love when you get the bigger picture of the world of the leftovers. Oh, sure. And he, he fills Nora in, in this pretty world building scene about these scientists who have discovered some radiation that's present where departures happened, how they've, have they recreated the radiation somehow? They've created a machine. They've collected theoretically harnessed it. that, Mm -hmm. That theoretically will shunt people to, by his words, effect- effectively wherever, you know, mm-hmm. wherever they went. Wherever they went. Um, right. And he's pitching to her that the scientists want her mm-hmm. uh, to to take part in this. And so so the season seeded here becomes this flirtation with this concept. But it begins here, and I really love that. Um, what you got? Anything specific? So um, on that note, with the sort of the harnessing the radiation, it has always impressed me that the writers here, I don't know how much Lindelof conceptualized this, how much it was his writing team, but that they're able to substantiate narratively the scientific possibilities of this departure. Um, I don't know how much of it, if any, is based in actual real science, but I fully buy it in this story. Like it's, it, it feels possible the way that they display it. And, uh, and that just impresses me uh, from a writer standpoint, regardless of whether or not it's based in actual science or not, which it likely isn't. Um, and then I, my, one of my favorite things about this episode, um, which admittedly this episode's kind of difficult and challenging and heavy, but I love when Nora reveals her tattoo 
which is a tattoo mm-hmm. of the symbol for the Wu-Tang Clan. And all of it, her wearing a cast in the first episode and in the early parts of this one, um, and the entire story, so representative of Nora's journey, just comes into complete clarity. And it it makes so much sense. She went in to try to tribute her departed children and got their names tattooed. Uh, she praises the tattoo artist, but then she panics at having to explain it to everybody. And so she just picks the first thing she sees to cover it up and covers it with the Wu-Tang Clan symbol. Then she doesn't want to have to com- have to explain why she got the Wu-Tang Clan symbol. So she breaks her freaking arm in, in, yeah. in the door. And it's just moment after moment of these increasingly more and more extreme measures to cope and all of them failing. And that, that is so the condition that Nora's in. Just failed coping mechanism after failed coping mechanism, which is exactly... coping mechanism. Right, which is what she, she cited. You know, they tried to pass the pillar man off as a departure, which Nora was really, you know, th- offended by, it feels like. And, uh, and, and that was part of it, is, is that they started talking about these coping mechanisms. And I, that registered to me this viewing around. I was like, well, her coping mechanisms are failing her. Left, right, up, down, all of them. They're just completely abandoning her. And every moment that she tries to, like, gain the upper hand, even in a conversation, the moment in the car with Tommy. Oh, that's so heartbreaking. It is awful. And, and I mean, powerfully I, That acted. was a moment where I almost, like, you actively dislike Tommy for one of the first real times. I was like, dang, dude. Yeah. That was rough. No, I know. I know. But even then, it's like what it represents for, for her is one more bit of failed control. Like sure. she's trying to jab him. Like she's trying to say like, you know, I wish you'd never given me to her. And admittedly it's harsh and it's painful, but him being like, I, I didn't even know you existed. Right. Right. Like, right I was given him right. to my, I was given Lily to my dad. I didn't even know you right. existed. And it's like, and you can see it in Carrie Coon's face. Like the actor is, is like Nora has bottomed out and like, she cannot even grasp the control of having this this one thing up on this conversation with Tommy. Anyway, it's uh, well, it's, it's funny you used a word a minute ago, her lack of control, and one of a pretty powerful part of the scene with Mark Lynn Baker. Oh, yes, when she's accusing him of because he he sets up this sort of rhetorical argument of these the three cast members except me went where where's what what's that mean? I don't know exactly his words. But she challenges him that it was purposeless and random. And he retorts forcefully what happened was random. And I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly what she says. His response to whatever it is she says is what happened was random, purposeless. So no, Nora, I don't want to kill myself. I want to take some effing control. And, you know, I think however interested or intrigued Nora is in whatever might be going on, that turns a dial for her. So, well, that's, that's, she had said, I think you're suicidal, you know, like, and, and he's like, no, I I don't want to kill myself. I want to take some control, some effing control. And that is so indicative of the, it's the, it's the opposite of what Nora is experiencing. Like Nora is just like out of, out of control. So she's completely trying in these other ways to gain control to the degree. And I don't like this. I, I, as much as I dislike Tommy in the scene and as much as I sort of sympathize with Nora up into this point, her measure of taking control by just obliterating the illusion that the pillar man 
departed oh, in the yeah. way that she does because she literally creates a huge portrait of essentially autopsy. his autopsy mm-hmm. pic- image. Yeah. And just goes and the image, the mural that they've got painted uh, of him presumably departing, she just puts that picture of his body, his uh, very, like, it would be hard anyway. Like, what's awful about that moment is that would be offensive and 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 obtrusive and inappropriate, even if everybody knew that he was dead. Like, like that action is pretty heinous. And for her to do it in direct defiance of the illusion that she's so offended by, I get it. And I get why she's offended by it. I just uh, turn on her a bit in that moment because I'm just like, okay, you're just desperate for control and you're just seizing it by getting the upper hand on these people who want to continue to believe the delusion otherwise. And I just, I don't like it. I will say in this episode, I love, I do love the Erica Nora scene and what a lovely inversion it is of their showdown in lens. Absolutely. You know, in lens that's harsh, it's biting, it's, it's power grabbing. It's, it's aggressive. Uh, and this, yeah. it's nothing but tender and, and honest. And I just, I don't know. I found it a really lovely scene. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I think, I think I'm curious to see where our conversations go as far as Nora is concerned, because she does her emotional journey is, is a large part of this season. Sure. You know? Yes, of course. Um, of course. Um, and we can't leave the episode or TV guide post without mentioning because of its importance uh, for next time. Uh, that final scene in Australia with uh, Sheriff Yarborough, uh, who's also named Kevin, uh, Kevin. And uh, he uh, runs aground of these three uh, women who have some pretty uh, out of the box beliefs and some even more out of the box ways of transacting them out. That's a nuts that's a crazy scene. It's an absolute. Crazy it scene. is. This is one of the few things about season three so far in this rewatch. This is the first time I've rewatched it. The puzzle box of season two's plotting is so just impressive. Yes. For what it reveals because of what it reveals that it kind of keeps you in it. I am impressed by the flash forward of episode one and the the narrative machinations they pull off but knowing it diminishes a little bit of the energy yeah mm-hmm. you know what i mean like no, I agree. in other words rewatching season two you'll catch a scene that you know if you've seen it is rooted in something utterly foreign to the moment sure and, right, you, and you're energized you're like oh my god i forgot that's where this is going oh my god right, that's so cool right this yeah. you're like okay well objectively I can say this was an interesting choice because what it does is puts you in a completely foreign land with right, an older right. man named Kevin. Is that actually our Kevin? Is this another flash forward too? No, really. I right, mean, that's right. what I no, think it's exactly. intended yeah. to do. They execute something out of the book of Kevin and, <laughs> and you're left like what in the world, you know, and then, <laughs> right. And then yeah. Kevin senior shows up at the end of that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he shows up for like, three seconds as the cliffhanger teaser for it um hey what are you ladies up to (laughs) take us out let's do it okay well ladies and gentlemen that has been our first installment of this final journey through the leftovers season three 
on this installment of Hashtag TV Guideposts. Tune in next week when we will be diving much more into Australia with two episodes that take place there and uh, almost not in Jordan at all with crazy white fella thinking and good day, Melbourne. So join us next week for another installment of Hashtag TV Guideposts. TV Guideposts. It was, wow, it was almost like the, I don't know, like the hiccup emo version of it. I don't know what yeah. that was. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm man. just in the mood to sing, Reed. I'm in the mood to sing. You know what? It should be a more musical episode than it is. Um, so... <laughs> No, I should. People I, don't want that. <laughs> they do not. They do not. Um, so uh, I should. Uh, um, we should take a moment here, a brief one, to set up and establish this final phase of in the morning, and maybe give the syllabus for it and everything. Um, so the first phase dealing this this entire series has been about kind of learning how to lose and the first phase was talking about like the, you know the remnant what was left behind uh, dealing with ghost stories specifically um and uh then the second season was talking about paradigm shifts and ways that your own perspective that in times of great loss you learn things about the world around you and things about yourself that maybe you aren't prepared for and change everything about your outlook and about your understanding of yourself um so this one is very specifically dealing with sort of end of the world scenarios and uh, doomsday scenarios and how people navigate through those doomsday scenarios. And I think for, for myself, hopefully listeners agree, hopefully you agree, I think we've come up with a pretty creative and diverse syllabus here. Um, it, it's not all uh, kind of of the same piece. So today, in, in mere moments, we're going to be diving into a very recent film from just a, a year or two ago called Anna and the Apocalypse, a Christmas zombie musical. Um, and then next week, we're going to be diving into James Cameron's sort of uh, it, inaugural, uh, it wasn't the very first film he directed, but kind of is his first real visionary piece uh, with The Terminator, the first Terminator. Then we're going to be going to Mel Gibson's very out of the box and, and uh, quite uh, highly praised at the time, despite his personal struggles, uh, his film about the ending of the Mayan civilization, Apocalypto. And then after that, we're going to be diving into a film by Alfonso Cuaron that is very important. Oh, my God. Precious to Nathan and myself. Uh, we're going to be diving into Children of Men. So that's your syllabus to prepare yourselves for what Dude, this. I forgot about Apocalypto. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, this is this gonna is, be a good little run. I think this is gonna be, yeah, I think this is gonna be an exciting uh, series. So, but it's all dealing with this notion of how we face the end of the world, whether or not we can do anything about it, and how we navigate that, and how we how we cope with it, what to do when it doesn't happen. All of those kinds of threads and pieces are gonna interlace together as we navigate through season three of The Leftovers and those four films that I mentioned as well. So um, I'm ready, if you are, to dive into our old Christmas zombie new musical uh, with Anna and the Apocalypse. So uh, I'll start with myself, give you, give you a breather, uh, but the question's coming. Um, so I... Is it to sing? You no. push your girl down a well, but you can't get up there and sing with no. Anna in the no, apocalypse? No, no, no. no. <laughs> the apocalypse. <laughs> um, 
So um, I was really excited when I heard about this film, and uh, it was it was a it was actually one of the rare blind buys that I do this day these days when it came out um, when it was available for digital release. Wanted to procure it um, digitally so that I could have the chance to see it because it was not available on any streaming outlets. Now, as of this recording, I think it's available on both Hulu and Amazon Prime. So, uh, say la vie. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I uh, so but I but I. I, I got it, and I got to confess that the first time I saw it, I was really taken with quite a lot of it, like the first half of it I was really energized by, and a lot of it fizzled out towards the end to where I was almost like slightly disappointed. But then... It's a pretty like, hard turn. But that's the thing, is that like very, very soon after finishing it and reflecting on, which I'm sure we'll get into, some things in the last like 20 minutes or 30 minutes or so... My my affection like rose in real time, and I think some things just began to connect with me that uh, are are maybe not necessarily completely accolades towards the film, but uh, to the degree that now I'm in a position where I like really really love Anna the Anna the Apocalypse, and I um, would champion it to people, uh, perhaps even with like a small asterisk that there might be some should prepare themselves for an uneven experience. That having been said, what was your experience of Anna and the Apocalypse. Oh, it was a uh, quite uneven read. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was like, it was up and down. What are all these kids singing and dancing, you know? And uh, what's that bearded dude <laughs> talking about? I don't really like him. <laughs> um, we don't like beards around here. Look out. You apparently don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> note to self. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Anna and her Apocalypse. You know what's really funny is I finished Dark Season 3 as referenced a couple weeks ago. Yes. Read probably 50% of the words that are said in Dark Season 3 is the word apocalypse. Like <laughs> like the dialogue in that season. It's like German, German, German apocalypse. German, German, German apocalypse. So now I'm just sick of the word. Lots and of so I, that's all. I, yeah, yeah. Lots <laughs> of dust, apocalypse. Apoc- apocalypse. <laughs> um, yeah. oh my gosh so um uh i was aware of it i was interested in it knew we'd probably get to it at some point held off until such time as we did and here we are and just like are. attack the block mm-hmm. um <laughs> uh i i didn't know what to think i i went in with a generally open mind and within minutes, my heart, like the Grinches, just like expanded and grew. Those like first ten, few songs will do it to you. Absolutely. Ten times its normal yeah. size because I just like a do, a, a doofus, a doofus, a dopey, <laughs> a dummy. A do, bo, 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 I'm going to sing now. Um, <laughs> George. <laughs> uh, you kind of forget. Oh, this is a musical. And right. then they start singing. And you're like. I'd kind of forgotten about that part. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Oh, look. Oh, okay. I'm down with this. Okay. All right. All these, these sweet kids. They just <laughs> want some love. They need some, they need some attention paid to them, you know, and they're just singing their little hearts out. And you're like, just go to it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, so no, I, um, in terms of general experience, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I, yeah. I'm curious when we get there, I, I do, I don't know that our experience will align in the, the, in the most granular way, but 
the film, I think, plateaus a little bit at about the two-third mark. And that doesn't mean that the last third, to me, I found bad at all. Just that warmth and energy kind of just hits its peak. It peaks too early. Uh, if I could say it, sure. Yes. Um, yeah, that is neither, that is not meant as a slight either. It's just, it kind of happens. So no, I, I forgot it was a musical. They started singing and then my heart started swelling at the sound of misfits singing their hearts out. It was just really lovely. Of course. Um, Of course. Um, so I've got a couple of trivial bits that I'll mention and then I've got a question for you. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, little, uh, it's not quite an icebreaker question, but it's movie telekinesis. Telekinesis. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Reading minds. Making people do no, never mind. So, um, so uh, I only have a couple of things to mention here. First of all, there are apparently three. You know, you're about to reference that. I was listening to this conversation, the Chronicle conversation about yeah. our superpowers and your buddy and his his poop yeah, club. That, mm-hmm. Like, and I was like, no. I wish I thought of it in the moment, so I'm sharing it now. Come on, like, if that's your superpower, what if he's come up a couple of times already this episode? What if you're fighting the Hulk? Hulk don't care. Hulk's not going to stop because he pooped his pants. He don't care. He don't care. That's a no. dumb power. Your That's... buddy, that was not. Wow. I think I wonder. I'm not even in touch with his friend anymore. So I, I wonder know. if he was kidding and you he thought it was, was real. No, he probably was. And now I, here we are maybe. a decade later. He is the. He was the kind of individual <laughs> who would have delivered a deadpan joke, completely joking, and would allow you for the remainder of your life to just go on thinking. He but this it. is how sweet you are, Reed. You... Receive people at their word. I and do. you thought in that moment, you're like, this is odd, but I'm going to just accept that this yeah. is what this person would choose as their yeah. power. Yeah. And now here we are a decade. See, if you had had telepathy at that point in time, <laughs> right. the ability to read minds, you would have known this, this guy's, guy's just, yes. yes. He's, just, he's just being ridiculous. He's just uncorking the chimney, <laughs> unplugging the chimney or whatever. <laughs> he's doing some weird stuff. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want you to finish <laughs> the train of thought that would that would progress to. <laughs> if anyone's totally woo. curious about that randomness, that's a reference to a song in and in the apocalypse. Uh, what were you so, going to ask me, Reed? Um, well, so, no, 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 moment. no. It's okay. So just a couple of trivial bits, and then I'll ask you a question. So, oh, so okay. uh, the first thing is there are apparently three cuts of this film which have been released, but oh. I've only I've only ever seen the the U.S. cut, which is I think the only one available here, unless you buy the Blu-ray because. The international release, I think, adds like another five minutes of footage. Uh, but the festival release, where it premiered, uh, first premiered, is another 10 minutes beyond that. So supposedly there's a version what? of it that's, fi- that's 15 minutes longer. Uh, presumably, although I haven't done too much research to, to validate this, presumably the Blu-ray edition restores the full uh, uncut version, the, the 15 minutes longer version. Um, Do you have only- any clue what's added? No, I don't know if there's additional songs or if there's additional. I I, I do think there's one additional, uh, like some more substantiation for Mister Savage's character. Which, speaking of that, deft segue. That's a very deft is that the principal? Yeah, yes. The principal. Um. Uh. Yeah, that's the principal, and he was uh, apparently an actor in Game of Thrones, but I believe he was like one of the Northerners above the wall. But I didn't recall his character. Uh, or the fact that apparently he was eaten by zombies in that show as well. So interesting. Yeah. So there's that. No, the question that I had for you. The North remembers. The North does. They. Yes. The North <laughs> remembers. That was good. That was an Thank in you. context reference. And yep. A, and a that's good, what I do. A good witticism. That's what I, do. I am not good yes. for a whole lot. But, but you know, you're you're good for an in context. I can make reference. some fun pop culture intersection <laughs> jokes sometimes that are lost on fifty percent of people who hear it. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then they look it up and they go, oh, that's yeah, what yeah, it yeah. is. Yes. Doesn't matter now. Long after it's funny. <laughs> right. This, this is, yes. Um, so uh, the question I was going to have for you, if you're prepared to answer it, is what- Well, I'm nervous if, now. If you're not prepared to answer it- Oh my gosh. Will you quit prefacing? Give me what your, is your question? Give me your top three favorite songs from N in the Apocalypse. Oh, that's easy. Really? Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. You want you want Number, to go three three two two oh, one one? No, you asked me my top three, so I was going to give you my three. Oh, go ahead. All right, that's fine. But no, yeah, we can no, we can you alternate. Go ahead. A, no, you. <laughs> uh, number three in ascending order. Okay. Uh, is human voice? Mm, I think that would be my number three as well. Yep. Um, number two is uh, turning my life around. That's a great song. It wouldn't quite make it my is. top three, but that's that's a good song. Yeah, I love the set piece of it. Yes, I'll mention that in just a few moments when we get to that. When we get deeper into the details, and I just got to be honest, Reed, it's the fish rap. <laughs> really? That junk, that junk is so dang funny it's and fun, hysterical. And yes. If 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 uh, now I thought about tying it with Hollywood ending, but I don't want to steal all your songs. Um, <laughs> but no, I was, I knew you were going to ask this question. So today I've been listening to the soundtrack and by listening to the soundtrack, I mean, dancing to the fish rap in my car about oh a dozen gosh. times. So it's really funny. No, it's hoping really funny. people look and I'm like, what you'll push a girl down. I will, but you've <laughs> never seen a grown man dancing to a fish rap in his car, you know, <laughs> strolling around the queen city. Oh my gosh. Um, so yeah, my I mean my number three would like you would be human voice. My number two would probably be give them a show. I love give them a show. Which one is which, that? That's the near the end when uh, Anna and Mr. Savage are oh. facing off with each other. Um, and then my number one would definitely be uh, no such thing as a Hollywood ending. So um, which I think is just called Hollywood ending. But uh, although funny yeah. funny song funny song note here, uh, watching the film for the first time, uh, the only time really mm-hmm. uh, when. What's her face is singing the Santa song. Oh uh, yes, I was like, this is this is clever. I like this, <laughs> and it made, it made me think of. Uh, so I've referenced them once or twice on the show before, but I love the. Are they a band? I guess they. I guess technically speaking, they're a band. Uh, Over the Rhine, oh, um, yes. hus- husband and wife, singer songwriter, Karen Detweiler. Nope. Karen Burkwist and Linford Detweiler. And they have uh, multiple Christmas albums. And every Christmas, those albums are in heavy rotation in our house. Well, (laughs) one of the songs on, and it's, they are, I'm 40 years old. These folks are probably early to mid fifties. They've been married for 30 years. You know, like it's a, it's most of their music is, uh, and actually shout out uh, fog listener Jess Fishley saw her at an Over the Rhine concert last time you could go to concerts. Um, uh, very heartfelt, very lovely, romantic songs, uh, mm-hmm. but but with a lot of heart and grit to them. Well, they have one on one of their Christmas albums called North Pole Man. And it is, <laughs> imagine a, a version of what this gal sings in, in an apocalypse, but a more mature kind of like, older person sure singing yeah. it and it's a, it's 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 meant to be saucy it's uh-huh, not meant right. to be like clever well sure. sure i guess it's meant to be clever but like if you say uh siri <laughs> i look at my phone because i'm like i don't want this to answer me yeah. so i didn't throw the hayward in front no, sure. uh, if you say siri mix uh over the rhine or shuffle over the rhine 
and you're in the kitchen doing dishes and North Pole Man comes on. You're like, hey, hey, uh, skip. You know, uh, <laughs> skip that sandwich. Quick. Kids in the room. Kids Volume in the down. Room. Volume down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's Shut a really the f up. <laughs> Siri. <laughs> I don't know if your I don't know if your Siri ever messes up the way mine does, but uh, yes. No, so not with that kind of response. Um, <laughs> but uh, I didn't add that song to my top three Anna's. Okay. Uh, but it is very clever. It's uh, yes, it's it's funny and it's fun. It's got lots of you know, obviously very very much innuendo. Um, and uh, so, yeah, the entire soundtrack, with one glaring exception, which I might as well go ahead and mention. I the only song on this that I actively dislike is um, Mr. Savage's "Nothing's Gonna Stop Me Now." Like I don't I don't well, really like the lyrics. I can we talk like, about this? Yeah, sure. sure Are right. we? Are you yeah. wanting this as a segue into movie talk? No, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To me, I hate saying stuff like this because as someone who at least wants to be able to say they're an actor, I don't like dissing people. So I'm not trying to diss the person. He doesn't work for me at all. Okay. Like, sure. I don't. Yeah. I, I, I think I narratively, I get it. It totally structurally makes total sense. Sure. You know, human foil kind of. Right, villain. right. Mm-hmm. Something about the performance, something about the energy of it, it's a turnoff. And I gotcha. Yep. Mm-hmm. Starting with that song you just referenced, and and what, and it actually surprised me that your one on your top three was their duet, mm-hmm. which which isn't me bashing the choice. Just just for me, once his solo happened, I was like, ah, I'm kind of out on him. Yeah. No, I get it. <laughs> you know, I get it. it. It's just there's there's an energy to his his kind of performance just didn't didn't work for me i understand and it's a very stylized choice like it's it's uh, i don't know if it was direction or if it was actor choice or maybe a combination of both but it was it's a very intentional choice that i would agree does not always work uh it particularly falls apart in that song yeah well there's you know what he reminded me of and uh i think the actor's name is richard roxburgh roxburgh Hmm. um he reminded me the world of a less interesting version of the suitor in Moulin Rouge. Do you remember this character? Mm, yes, yes. I know very exactly slimy, mm-hmm. very same archetype. Exact sure. same archetype. Yeah, sure, sure. But the Moulin Rouge performer, it kind of works. It's it's mm-hmm. smooth, it's smoother in delivery. Sure. Um, I think something about this gentleman's vocal pattern and that you just referenced was it direction was it performance that his solo the set piece is so kind of like what are you doing well, yeah what did they have this yeah. guy do jumping around like a caged animal like it would have yeah. been more interesting if it had been more i'm going to use this word and we can unpack it balletic if it had been more like mm. more 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 show tune physicality Sure. Less sure. kind of weird animal kind. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it just didn't work. For yeah. Me. I, I no. I, I I totally understand it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't disagree. Now, one thing that this particular character provides that I love a lot and might use. I might repurpose this when I try to command my son to like be more quiet. Is just withdraw your tongues. Don't do anything that's... this guy does. Read direction of your children, <laughs> like your nothing. child. Don't nothing. Do nothing. Um, uh, I, I do, do love an early scene between 
what is what is Lisa? I think it's the early scene between Lisa and Anna. Lisa referencing, or maybe it's just another random girl. I can't remember now. The not Anna says Savage is losing it. He made Henry Lee cry because he can't dance. Oh yes. <laughs> and Anna said, "Well, Henry Lee has a prosthetic, and I do think it's Lisa." She's, Lisa says, "And he only has one leg." <laughs> it was just this great <laughs> that joke. Read that got me. I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna have fun." <laughs> <laughs> it's like that opening some breakaway opened my heart up to receive sure, sure. the apocalypse apocalypse the there's apocalypse <laughs> was is das singing und dancing was is das singing teenagers um, um so the the breakaway opened my heart up that joke is like all right y'all can hang out <laughs> i got you ca- come on come cuddle up oh my god that's funny. <laughs> come on over and unload um, your so <laughs> oh my gosh um i was gonna you so so a lot of the most energetic scenes uh with only a couple of sections uh, uh with only a couple of exceptions uh are the scenes with songs in them and obviously no such thing as a hollywood ending is wonderful and just so many ways that's great um, that piece i i love it love it tremendously i love the song i love the lyrics i love the set piece i love the choreography just everything about that song works for me and it's really really uh fantastic in a number of ways you mentioned earlier it's in your top three um the turning my life around and i feel like turning my life around is like that's the sequence i could see as kind of like the pitch scene sure. for this film yes because it's Peppy teen girl singing a super catchy song, dancing around. John? Well, yeah, of course he's. But I'm just talking about like while. Sure. Meanwhile, all around them, the um, apocalypse is just wreaking havoc. You know, zombies speaking <laughs> of apocalypse. Um, and so, uh, so that's uh, yeah. It just it was it. I could see. Apparently, this was developed from a short film called Zombie Musical, which I have not seen. But um, I could see that moment being like, you know, a filmmaker yeah. who's like, hey, I want to do a whole movie like this. And then you pitch turning my life around. That's you're sold. Already. Well, I think you're identifying what made it so high on the list. And and to be very clear, uh, Mother Flipper or the Fish Wrap is a fun novelty. It's it's, you know, I will sure, acknowledge sure. with you. Hollywood ending is a better formal song. But I think what propelled Turning My Life Around above it was what you're describing. Hollywood ending, even though a strong song and a great set piece out of context is just teenagers singing and dancing. And that's a thing that's not really that new as far as Mm -hmm. concept goes. Whereas um, Turning My Life Around, like you just described, you could easily see that. You film that and you show it to the studio and say, okay, this is what we're making. Yes, Yeah. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, what am I talking about here? Great moment under the ball float when the zombie yeah, 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 is yeah. on the float. Because I wrote down the plastic ball pit scene is oh, funny, yeah, yeah. brief as it is. Because like they, they overturn the plastic ball pit and they've yes. crawled okay, under it. Right. And uh, then the old lady like sits that's down hilarious. on it. It's just, and then pees. Yeah, yes, not, it's so funny. It's, like, it's warm plastic. <laughs> It's really yeah. funny. Um, um, it really sucks when John gets got. My exact statement. It does suck so bad when John gets taken out. That was my exact. Yeah. Like I wrote down almost exactly what you did. My it's, guy it's just hard. remembered all of the reindeer names. 
Don't don't remember anything. That's how it is. Nathan, yeah. you're safe in the zombie apocalypse because oh you. Oh my gosh, Reed! <laughs> if I could remember what that was a jab about, I'd be so mad at you. <laughs> you're making fun of me, aren't you? Wait um, a minute. So, <laughs> um, so uh, I did write down one really important note. I wrote, "Don't worry, Nathan. Tay Tay's fine." Yeah, that's great. More folklore. <laughs> <laughs> my kids um, will be thrilled good good um i uh so so this 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 might pivot into theme it doesn't have to because we might not be done with likes dislikes but I, but um i want to talk a little bit about why i love give them a show so much so uh-huh. if you if you have some other things if i need to go you can just do no, that for a minute no 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 oh, okay i just mean if you have some other because it's possible when i start talking about that that might be a good segue into into theme so i can hold that back a little bit and we can maybe do a couple of scares or something like that and then uh, sure why don't you hold on to that for just a minute okay, just for a bit yeah, we'll talk about a few so, little bits yep absolutely a um, little more I'm good with I'm I'm good to move into like some scares. Although I do oh, like I hate you. this. You may have this under scares, but I didn't have it there. I just said I hate when Lisa and Chris get bit. That sucks. It's yeah, it's rough. That's, it's rough. Like yeah. John, you know how many friggin' horror slash zombie movies have we watched at this point where you're like, oh yeah, I'm the dummy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> of course. That's oh, what's supposed to happen. Uh, right, right. right, right. Oh, oh, right on time. <laughs> <laughs> Maximum emotional impact. <laughs> yes, yes. But so, no, yeah. that was that was really powerful. Uh, I really loved I think I think the casting in general is great, other than it again is, my yes. sort of asterisk on Savage. Um mm-hmm. uh, we I, love do the some dad. I think yeah. the I think the dad's great. He's he's not in it for very long, but I think he's great and and it's obviously also very sad that that he gets taken out. I was not expecting that, given what they had built up to, and then with with their reunion and everything, I wasn't expecting him to get bitten so so quickly uh, after that. But yeah, it was pretty. Sad. Well, your note there is a bit uh, uh, is a bit indicative of my theme. Read um, <laughs> is that dads get bit. That's the theme. Dads That's- get bit. <laughs> my thing is dad's, dad's good boot uh scares uh the snowman zombie that thing's <laughs> jacked up that's so nasty it's so great though it's so great it's a great kill when she seesaws his oh head it's off. the best kill of the film she just like knocks the just like seesaws him up and his head just like pops off like a broken that bowling ball kill is pretty nasty that yes it is it's pretty disgusting yeah I, i'll give you that one what else you got on scares anything the main thing I have on scares is that I think it's probably the only scene in the film that general that genuinely gives me the creeps is the bathroom scene, starting with like Mrs. Hensman, and then they oh, all yeah. kind of burst yeah. in. Like that's that's the only moment because obviously you're dealing with a musical, so there's a an overall lighthearted tone over a lot of it. But that's the first moment that I remember being like, "Oh, that's like a that's a legit zombie movie like scary moment." Yeah, like, it, it's really freaky. The zombie makeup effects are really creepy. The horde busts in, and they don't have very far to go or very many places to go. So it's yeah, it's uh, it's a really affecting moment, an effective moment. Uh, the last scare for me was that the last shot of Zombie Santa gave some good poop club vibes <laughs> that one startle like oh it's like whoa <laughs> i thought oh. we were done yeah oh my gosh um so yeah so so uh i want to mention there there are two songs one song that we haven't really uh talked about very much but i don't think it's even been brought up in the piece but 
I um, I think what pivots the energy down on a first viewing of this film, and this is my ramp up into theme, I think what pivots the energy down in a first viewing of the film is, yes, Mr. Savage's song comes, and then you have a couple of, like, rough farewells, because you have, like, John gets taken out, that sucks, but it's kind of... John dies in the middle. John dies in the middle, not at the end. He dies no. in the middle. <laughs> so, um, but uh, then you have, like, Lisa and Chris go out, which is really sad, and you have, like it feels like the emotion starts to sort of weigh on you a bit. Mm -hmm. And then you get to Anna confronting Mr. Savage and this song. So oddly, like some of the lyrics in this song are really surprising. Like, she says, you know, Anna says there's good on this earth and it's worth trying to save. And then Mr. Savage Totally takes the perspective of, uh, you know, you're so wrong. A purge on this species is long overdue. You know, mm-hmm. like he's, he's basically taking the approach and I love this refrain, but he's basically taking the approach of this is the inevitable end result of where we've always been headed. So this is the necessary cleansing, purging apocalypse. This is what we deserve and should have. Meanwhile, she's struggling to like, no, we should continue to try to fight and press forward. And the refrain that they keep, you know, going over and over again is uh, so raise the curtain, hit the lights, strike up the band for the final night. And if it is my time to go, I'll give them one hell of a show. And it's basically like, there's this clash of of ideologies and and that's not the full sort of thematic resonance that that hit for me but there's this like clash of ideologies where he's basically like no push into apocalypse uh you know just keep it all going this you know they need to be obliterated we need this full scale like just obliteration earlier in the film he was like they almost left you know, talking about like parents and people that were trying to get away. He's like, they were all, they almost left. He almost let them get away. So he's very sort of uh, bent on making this thing play out to its natural conclusion. Meanwhile, she's taking the tack more of fighting through, keeping hope and maintaining optimism. But what finally solidified it for me, and it is so, I think, like three viewings in, I viewed this twice before this episode and then watched it uh, again for this episode. Three viewings in, I think I am still trying to wrap my head around the precise intention the filmmakers must have had. But as a personal confession, I was so emotionally arrested after Give Them a Show, which is like, that's a, that's a strong sort of thematic shot across the bow. And then Anna singing, I Will Believe. Surrounded by zombies closing in, that just really affected me. And some of the some of the lyrics, the refrain of that song is like, "Where?" And that's I will believe is not a song that we brought up yet. But uh, where is the light that used to shine? Um, uh, where is the light that once was mine? But while there's hope, and while I still breathe, I will believe. And it is a very almost asynchronous kind of song with the rest of what the the film. Uh, feels trying to be about until you pivot it back to well this is this is kind of the 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 effort that Anna is making is that like no I am she's not just fighting to survive she's 
actually fighting to live. She's fighting to like have hope, to have faith, to have um, a a confidence in the hope for a future. And um, you know, I, I, when I think about the dichotomy between like the Mister Savage and the Anna, and think about we referenced it earlier, just kind of in scant passing, but the way. This could get heavy real quick, so I'm going to try not to. But, like, I hear an alarming amount of people adopt the attitude, and I'm not just talking about global pandemic. I'm not just talking about political elections. talking about people, and we've referenced it on the show before, but people openly embracing the... This just needs to push forward, and we don't need to worry about the casualties along the way. Like, let's I mean, just go. Ahead. I'm sorry to cut you off, but to to affirm you and to support your statement here earlier in the film, and what I wrote down, I've got a little more generalized theme, but what I wrote down real specifically was when Savage says, "I see civilization on the edge. What does civilization mm. do when it finds itself on the edge?" And Lisa, who is your kind of wayfish doe-eyed innocent says we help each other Mm -hmm. and what does he say we prioritize we prioritize Mm. and yeah you know listening to you talk about the i still believe idea i rewound that we prioritize scene because i wanted to make sure i caught Mm. it like Mm -hmm. because i was like did i really just hear oh yeah i did that sounds very familiar Mm. um right you know, I, I don't, I don't, you aren't steering here. I don't, I want to resist the jumping in the cynical boat, but I think so much with great routine about our pet cemetery conversation, not pet cemetery, uh, it conversation. Oh yes. Yeah. Of we, we basically charge our children with saving us. Yes. Um, so we either do that through kind of unplugging just sort of hoping uh or we take the savage character approach which is just burn the world uh, whatever you'll figure it out like yes yeah. we force force some sort of reckoning uh to to kind of what you were saying we, we push through regardless of casualty and i think you've referenced this with maybe is it something wicked where you talk about the role of the adult in that being so meaningful Mm, mm -hmm, versus mm -hmm. a lot of standard fare. Yes. And I think in my own life, and I don't do a good job of this. I will sort of own that in my own life though. I want to be a partner with, it sounds dumb to say the younger generation. So I don't totally mean that, but just like, I don't want to unplug. I don't want to unplug. Yeah. I don't want to burden the world and I don't want to unplug. And we get, sort of stuck in the middle sometimes of I've, I've found this recently, you know, I think trying to just live through a pandemic, you can really easily get just your gears ground up in just the daily thing. Yeah. Until all of a sudden you're like, good Lord, what are we, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? Right. Just, the, the same thing over and over and over. And it's one thing when 
we have those, we reference this on Dr. Sleep. What's one thing when you have those conveniences and those things to distract you and to, Oh, let's go to the movies or, Oh, let's go to this. Let's go shop. Let's go to that. You know, like when that's more readily available in terms of geographic location, that's a lot harder to displace. Um, strangely, when you can't move around a whole lot, you almost feel less. I live here now. Mm. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. Is that right. just me? Am I just, you know, I don't no, know if not you at all. echo not that. And so it's weird because at the same time, I do think the, the work is still figuring out how to do that. Yeah. One, one thing I, I'm worried I'm, I'm dragging as far afield of where you were intending. And so I apologize no, for no, that and want you, no, okay. you're fine. Um, I'm, I'm hoping maybe like, um, Moira and David trying to cook that we can fold the cheese in here, uh, with fold, this. fold in the cheese, fold, <laughs> fold in the cheese. You keep what saying you, that. What do you do? Just <laughs> fold it in, fold it in. <laughs> um, uh, I was thinking, uh, mowing the grass the other day. I was, I was listening to the soundtrack and just sort of processing feelings and thinking about the movie and, you know, it, because on a certain level, it's very popcorn kind of cotton candy from sure. that standpoint. At the same time, something that really arrested me was at least to my knowledge, this was the first experience I can recall with viewing a, the coming of age genre colliding with the zombie genre. Mm-hmm. And what does that, what does that mean? You know, like, I mean, any good story is going to have some sort of character development, but as in literally, this is a, a, a story about teenagers in which, they learn through the course of the film, their parents maybe have not met their own expectations of themselves or the right. kids expectations of their parents and their parents will die and or depart somehow. You can't yeah. fully rely on that. And Oh, by the way, your authorities at best might not care. And at worst, mm. maybe actively working against your good. Mm. Mm. And yet you have Anna at the end saying, I still believe, okay, well let's unpack that. Uh, why don't you come over here and unpack, you know, your Sam's bag? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, well, and I want to, okay, yeah, so please. I want to, am I tying some threads? Oh, absolutely. Or? But I want to, I want to, cl- and I would not pick on semantics to this degree, but I think it's an important distinction. Pick she on doesn't, me. what? <laughs> no. She's, she doesn't say, I still believe. The line is, I will believe, which oh, is oh, much oh. more. And, and the reason I'm making that distinction is because. I'm not looking at it. I'm just. No, no, no. I know. But yeah. the, the reason I'm making that such a clear distinction is because I do think there's a version of this hope and optimism which is ingrained because that's just how you think. And there's the piece that is the element of choice. Mm-hmm. And, and I do think some people are more prone to positivity. More people are more prone to optimism. I think those are psychological realities. And I think then there is the piece of it that says, no, this is, this is what I will do. Right. This, this is the decision that I'm making for how I'm going to navigate the world. And I'm not picking on your, you know, like, uh, you know, potential misquoting there or anything. I'm just identifying that I think the difference between I still, cause I still believe, indicates that like yeah there's still a lot to sort of latch on to and hope for and everything like that versus 
I will believe is an active choice you're making to be sure. different in the world. And yeah, to, to, I think your I think yeah. your semantic note there is valuable and just kind of uh, affirms what I was trying to get at was which was simply yeah. is still okay in the face of uh, a loving un- parental unit who is flawed and yes. now unavailable to me in the mm-hmm. face of. Uh, authority figure and not just authority figure but like instructional authority figure meant to meant to propagate good um you know it's scary to me to think that something like a savage is less uh counter reality these days than it is just oh yeah that's right oh okay Mm. someone in leadership is taking advantage of you oh cool yeah that's just Mm. welcome to life kid you know Mm. whereas this this child stuck between those two extremes saying Okay, well, I'm I'm still going to believe that uh, I will believe, you know, that. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. Pushing forward in active action in a direction of of wholeness. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. Hmm. And I think it's not coincidental or uh, necessarily antithetical to what we're scratching at that the final moment uh, sans uh, zombie Santa jump scare. Sure. Um, the final moment, the note that the narrative resolves to is we have basically three survivors and one of them asks the poignant, open-ended, impossible to answer question of, so what's next? And it, it's left with them pondering, so what's next? While the soundtrack is playing a brief refrain of no such thing as a Hollywood ending. And I don't think that's obviously incidental. I think there's a very deliberate sort of thing being pushed forward where you progress, at least this is the way I read it. You progress from, I'm, I'm going to give them a, I'm going to like, I will take my cues and I will, I will play the part I am supposed to play. And I'm going to go out to with the fullest, sort of commitment of my personhood. I'm going to give them a show. And then it moves to what that show is going to be about, where it's like, while there's hope, I will believe. Like, while that's still here, uh, while I still have choice to make and breath and all of this, I will believe. And then the pondering question, so what's next now? And I do love... We didn't unpack a lot of the lyrics or whatever, but I I love Hollywood ending because you simultaneously have like John with his unrequited love and Anna, who's been very hurt by her breakup. Um, and but then you also have Lisa and Chris in there who are mm-hmm. very much like devoted to each other and go down together like mm-hmm. they both get bit together. Um, their, their conclusion is together. But I love the line that they have, particularly that they share where it says, um, I'm it's not belief I'm suspending. And I yeah. just. I, I I love that line so much. Like it's not belief I'm suspending. Like there there may be any number of other things that take a pause, but not my not my hope for this. And and I do feel like the film, while I will admit the film is admittedly uneven, and the film maybe doesn't it, it maybe didn't develop its final act enough to really drive home some of what it was clearly interested in but i think the songs lead in this through line in this direction in a in a very i will i will say uplifting sort of cadence where it says like no there there is this path upward and it is not a path born of naivete 
or of illusion. No such thing as a Hollywood ending. It's not born of uh, this sort of pie in the sky, hope for the best kind of attitude. There is a a hopeful future that when people have chosen to commit the fullness of their selves, give them a show, towards action and intention, I will believe. And then what's next for them? Like, well, it, it may not be the illusory, dreamlike Hollywood ending thing, but we will reach a version. Because they're, they're all in that car, and they, are, they all have some degree of smile on their face. It's not a dour ending at all, mm-hmm, despite mm-hmm. the fact that they three are the only ones left of their little troop of loved ones. And, uh, and it is, it, it, I don't know, it, it, it really arrested me in this sort of progression of ideas of, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit the fullness of my person to making choices to propagate good around me. And, uh, and it will not be just some illusory Hollywood born dream. And I, I'm not picking on Hollywood as an, as an institution or as a place. Right. No, just, just the, the fantasy, uh, right. that we are chasing. Like, no, this will, this will be born of effort and of, of sweat and intention. And that is what we are striving and fighting for. And I just well, and in the, in the dichotomy that the scene with Savage and Lisa establishes, what do we do? We help each other. We prioritize. Well, the film shows you his worldview mm-hmm. worldview mm-hmm. is wrong word, but no, in the prioritization schema fails, mm-hmm. fails. There, mm-hmm. You know, you can't, that's, that's an immoral, unhuman choice mm-hmm. in the face of calamity to prior- prioritize value of yes. people. Um, right. So then what is the alternate choice there? It's, well, we help each other. And so I, I kind of see this notion of them making that choice, which is a much more fluid, yeah. you know, uh, occasionally elusive choice but yeah so, so i love I, when you get that like look you're just like oh my god let me lean back <laughs> let me lean back lean before back. hangry hulk shows up <laughs> so so I, I i feel like we're kind of winding towards a conclusion here i i should have i almost did i should have screenshot this this uh sort of meme that was shared um but there was a, a social media meme that I came across and it wasn't a jokey one. It was just like a, you know, concise little story image. So I cannot remember who this story is attributed to. I only remember the idea that it expressed. And the idea expressed is that there was supposedly a prominent thinker or uh, a prominent uh, either scientist, sociologist, philosopher, teacher. I don't know who the person was, but they were asked, what is the first sign of civilization? And the person that asked them, well, what's the first sign of civilization was expecting an answer somewhat tool related. Like, what is the what is the first sign of civilization? Is mm, it a hammer? Yeah. Is it a is it a, a chisel? Wheel. Is a wheel? Yes. What's the first sign of civilization? But the answer that was given is the first sign of civilization is a broken femur that has been healed. Mm. And and the reason that they gave that answer is because they said in nature, when a gazelle or a deer, or uh, even like a rabbit, or or some animal breaks a leg, they are done. When right. an animal when an animal breaks a leg, they are merely waiting for the the predators to come and consume them. That's all they're waiting for. 
But in this this person's answer, they said, but a broken femur that has been healed means that that person did not wound themselves alone, left to die. Somebody mm. took on the predators for them, kept them cared and nurtured for, and that they moved together long enough for that broken bone to be healed. That mm-hmm. is the first sign of civilization. And I thought, what a... What a profound, and particularly in this conversation about that line of we help each other versus we prioritize. Prioritize is you're dead weight, right. you're expendable, yeah. you're gone. Whereas Hello, the other, <laughs> you gonna get eaten. Whereas, yeah, which is the 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 antithesis of that. The 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 civilization, community, life, hope is when you break your leg, there will be people to stave off the predators people to protect, shelter, and nurture you, and people to make sure you reach a, a path back to wholeness. That is the first sign of actual civilization. And I found that so profoundly beautiful, and and it, it really arrests my imagination in the concept of, we're talking about you know, how we face, if you want to put it in air quotes, apocalypse or the end of things, how we do that. And I've been watching a lot of Lost, and you know that the common refrain there is, what is it, Nathan? (laughs) I I love (laughs) that you were going to say it, and you saw me approach the mic. No, you can do it. Yes. No, okay. If we don't live together, we're going to die alone. And it is one of those things where it's like, that is the the power of community. Like, unity of thought, unity of purpose, unity of mind— one of the things that we are that I will tell you this, I will put this on record. You you heard it here, folks. Here it is. Nothing about the upcoming election, nothing about the virus, nothing about any of that scares me more than the ever widening divide we see within communities and people and families and relationships. Nothing. Not sure. the, not any administration, not any presidency, not any leadership, not any government, nothing alarms me as much as the ever-increasing divide between people groups and thoughts. That is scary because then we turn on each other, and I'm not talking about some big looming boogeyman that's going to come in and swoop in and wipe us all out. I'm just talking about the fact that if we are not united in common purpose, if we are not united in, in common pursuits, if we are and and we can have any number of disagreements about how to get there that's fine but we can't even agree about where we're supposed to go and what we're supposed to do and and i feel like that is the thing that we that the real casualty of i i will say this as well the real casualty of the donald trump presidency the real casualty of the the global pandemic the real casualty of those things in america is the way it revealed and widened and continues to perpetuate the ever-increasing division that we have between each other. And I'll throw social media on there because I know social media plays a huge factor in that. Um, but that is that is the piece that concerns me. And we are moving away from civilization. We are mm-hmm. we are we are moving away from the idea that says no. I will I will hope. I will believe. I will. We will help each other on the edge of of uh, uh, extinction. Uh, just civilization on the edge. We will help each other. We're moving away from that, 
into much more dire and dreadful circumstances. And I think the path back to that is to recalibrate and to recognize like, no, we are in this together. So let's be in it then. And that is, that is our, our path forward. I think I'm, I I think I'm, I think I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) You never can tell with me. No, but, but, uh, you never can tell. Um, okay. Well, you ready? Are you ready for the fog meter? Yeah, I just wanna just wanna live together so that we don't die alone. That's right. That's right. Hmm. So, do you want to explain to people what it is? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, mainly, I'm just trying to figure out uh, is there more I want to say there, but there's there's nothing. It's more just nebulous thoughts. Un- mm-hmm. Uh, unshaped and unformed. The fog meter is our ranking system utilizing two very specific metrics, that of fear, that of God. Crazy, I know. Uh, (laughs) How scary is a movie? How substantive is a movie? Uh, I'm going to lead on fear. Okay. Um, Generally speaking, it's not a very scary movie. Uh, It's, it's, you know, if you've never seen a zombie movie, you might be a little put off by some of the imagery, but uh, it's actually pretty tame as far as that goes, too. Um, yeah. uh, I'm going to give it a five on the fear meter. Yeah, I I actually would go kind of one notch lower. I think with the exception of that bathroom scene, it's uh, it, For what it it's is worth, pretty- when I said five, I thought that's higher than you needed to, Nathan. So go ahead. I'll I'll, (laughs) I'll stay committed. (laughs) Sure, sure. So, but no, I'll give it a four. I mean, it's not a very scary film. I think the music undercuts a lot of that, but then also I, I feel like the, uh, just the general zombie scenes themselves, while many of them are fun and, and cool, uh, not very scary with only a couple of exceptions. Um, so the God meter, um, I struggle with a little bit in this because clearly I'm very arrested with a couple of threads, but I don't feel that it would be fair to say that the movie does a great job of tying those threads together in a really cohesive way. I think you kind of have to dig for them a little bit. Uh, they're there. They're not absent, but uh, you do have to work for them a little bit. And I'm not even fully convinced that the filmmakers were completely uh, sort of on a path to express those particular thematic ideas. But given how much I got from the film, I'm going to give it a seven on the God meter. Hmm. Um, I am going to go for a six um i i had to work to think you've seen it three times which which is just you know the benefit of of familiarity helps you more readily see some of those threads for yourself i did have to think a little bit harder of okay what what might i pull out of this um i agree there's not nothing there i don't think it's super profound or super intentional yeah so that means that we give Anna and the Apocalypse a five and a half out of ten on the fog meter. We haven't once uh, mentioned the director John McPhail, so that was I was about to say that's a yeah us fail. That's that's a that's a big McPhail. So um, <laughs> but but no. So Anna and the Apocalypse, directed by John McPhail, um, we give it a five and a half on the fog meter. Uh, but Nathan, would you recommend Anna and the Apocalypse? Oh, without question. It's yeah. Uh, I do think, uh, you know, structurally it peaks a little early, but um, it's a heck of a lot of fun. It's very charming. It's m- mostly well cast um, and just just entertaining. Yeah, and and for its novelty alone, not that it is 
not that it is only novelty, but how many Christmas zombie musicals are there out there? You know, like it's uh, it's one. <laughs> there's one. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I would definitely recommend it. I think it's it's fun. Uh, you know, watch it around. Uh, the 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 Christmas element is more set dressing than it is actual you know sort of sub- substance. Um, but uh, yeah, watch it around the holidays. Watch it now uh, so that you can listen to our episode. But yeah, I would definitely recommend and in the apocalypse without question. So that puts. Episode one of this phase of hashtag in the morning uh, in the books. And next week, we are going to be continuing this journey with our discussions about how we face the end of the world uh, with a conversation about James Cameron's The Terminator. I will seek any excuse possible to bring Arnold Schwarzenegger back to the pod. (laughs) And And uh, lest we forget, episodes three and four of Leftovers season three. Indeed, indeed. So episodes three and four of Leftover Season 3 and James Cameron's The Terminator, the original. Go ahead and seek that out, and we will see you back here next week. Nathan, thank you so much for having this conversation with me about Anna and the Apocalypse. I really enjoyed Certainly. it. And uh, listeners, as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see Amen. you next week, everybody. See you guys. Bye. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God, on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, everybody!